Hello and welcome to the Rights Collective podcast, a place where we'll explore the distinct and subtle ways that gendered and other forms of inequality manifest within the British South Asian diaspora. With this podcast, we hope to vocalise the lived experiences within our communities while inviting dialogue with those who engage with it. This season, we'll be focusing on how our identities have been shaped by our culture, religion, gender, sexuality, upbringing and more. Through interviews with guests from the diaspora, we'll gain an insight on the diverse identities within our communities and learn how others have balanced the intersecting and perhaps conflicting aspects. Today, I'm joined by Almas Badat, a curator and DJ based in London. Together, we discuss embracing vulnerability and self-acceptance and how these have shaped her interactions with her Indian heritage and Muslim identity. Hello, Almas. Thank you for joining me. Such a pleasure. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Brian early on a Monday morning. I know, right? First thing, it's a wicked start to the week. Yeah, let me start by asking you just a bit about your background growing up and where you are now. Like, I think it would be great to hear about what about your life you really feel um, has shaped you? I guess life experience has shaped me. I'll start there. Physically, my mom and my dad shaped me. <laughs> um, <laughs> And where I'm at right now is that I'm a director, DJ and strategist, and I use art as my main form to express myself and also speak to people. So my language is not always verbal. It moves across in music, through film, through uh, exploring culture. And then, yes, I do also do a lot of presenting and public speaking and panels as well. I grew up in, I was born in London. I grew up in Zambia, in Lusaka. And then I came back to London. And I've since then, I've, London's my base, but I've been traveling and moving all over the world to continue learning really, and being curious about our planet and the people in it. You're quite a busy, creative creature. I like that. (laughs) I think like, actually, we are all multifaceted and we are all multi-potentialites we're sitting here right now and talking and breathing at the same time and you know there's just there's there's so much within us that is constantly working and moving and evolving and I suppose I've tried to encourage myself over the past decade to embrace all of those different things and more so I'm like okay well why let me just try like DJing while I'm making a film but also if I want to do some watercolor painting why not you know so your experience as a British Asian is quite filled with nuances as you said you grew you were born in London but grew up in Lusaka do you feel like that journey has shaped your identity as being a British Asian like where you feel completely comfortable in your Asianness? I think that growing up in a different place and lots of different places, um, I went to quite a few different schools and my mum encouraged me to explore different different communities of people and culture. I think being exposed to lots of different kinds of people from a young age meant that it's not unfamiliar to me now to be the only person that maybe looks like me or, you know, uh, maybe has the same identifiers in the same space. And actually it's really cultivated a love and appreciation for other cultures. In fact, it probably makes me more curious. I was the child that asked a million questions. You know, if you showed me if it was like Diwali and we were going to the temple or, you know, I I was just really interested in like what was happening. And my own background is that I'm Indian and Muslim. So learning about, about different cultures and different religions was something that I now, if I go to a church or a temple or any place of worship, really, the way that I experience this is like, oh, okay, cool. Like this is like another channel to further speak to higher beings and also to myself. And so the way that I see, I think that experience now has shaped me in the sense that all of the experience of the world are ways to further understand the world, the people, and then in turn, myself too. So I would say, yeah, my early formative years definitely played a really big part in how I process information and how I am eager to learn about other people, their stories and where they come from. As this podcast is basically exploring the multitudes of, you know, us as South Asian diaspora and yeah, how these elements influence and create and build us as as people. Could you share a bit about 
maybe the elements of your identity that you're like quite at peace with right now like maybe you've gone on a journey to get there but you feel like you know it's you know that part of yourself a little bit better now I think one of the biggest things about embracing my identity and my South Asian-ness is being a child of a few generations that settled in London. So my grandma and grandpa- uh, granddad moved um, to set- finally settled in London, originally from Gujarat in India. And because of this, I think generationally, I probably felt a bit of distance from my roots, especially growing up in a completely different culture, right? So like growing up in Lusaka meant that my experience of being a South Asian woman or young girl at the time was just had this other sort of puzzle piece like added onto it. And so what I've been working at to feel comfortable with in the past sort of three or four years is to step into and embracing not knowing. And that has been a really beautiful and it's a really nice gateway actually and a starting point so when I was in India at the end of 2019 and the beginning of 2020 I spent two months in various places um, in India and I met lots of people who were similar in age similar in interest you know very into the arts and also Indian people living in India right so like there was this closeness to my roots that they had which I had I which I was experiencing in those two months. And what I was overly grateful for is every single person. And I say every single person without exaggeration. I didn't have one experience where a person made me feel like, you know, I was different or I didn't deserve to, I didn't deserve an explanation, for example. And everyone really encouraged me to learn more about my culture and you know they they checked in and were like you know do you understand this or do you want me to explain it again or let's you know this is how you say it do you know what I mean like when when I'm trying to like understand and refine like my Hindi for example and so one of the things that I'm really really at peace with is the not knowing and trying now to say okay how do I where do I want to be in the next 10 years and what things do I what things do I want to sort of delve into to further understand my culture because the way that I see things is okay when you have a gap of knowledge it's not like I have the gap of knowledge and then nothing actually I have the gap of this knowledge but it's because my experiences were something else and I was taking in information from a different place at a different time and so you know, just holding, holding myself really quite gently and being like, oh, it's, there's nothing wrong with it. It's not your fault that you grew, grew up somewhere else. Or, you know, like during that time, yes, like you're still Indian, but you also have this like part of identity that, that has, I was, it's not a coincidence that I was raised in Zambia, you know, that the everything, I think everything is intentional. And so I'm trying to see the value in these things rather than see them as, well, I don't know enough or, you know, I'm not Indian enough, for example. So, yeah, I think that's like something that I'm definitely embracing and I'm, um, and I'm active in it. I wouldn't say that I'm like, I don't think I'll ever be completely comfortable with being who I am because who I am is constantly changing, but I am at a place where I'm trying to, rather than putting pressure on myself to find that peace, I'm trying to connect the dots with what my experience has been. So moving forward, I can um, learn more and embrace more because there's just so much to learn. Like South Asian history is nuts. (laughs) And so going like, and we've got South Asian history, but then there's like a massive wave right now of South Asian culture happening. And so it's like information happening in the present. And there's so much information from the past. And then actively in the present, we're moving in the future. So there's just a lot of information flying around. So I'm just trying to be like, no, take it easy. Take it easy. Every step of the way is is a bit of learning and learning more about yourself and your whatever your roots are. I think the wave of South Asian culture right now is actually quite exciting because as a diaspora community, our experiences have never been documented and our, the way that we're going to influence the culture has never, it's not been done before. So we're, we're kind of like almost pioneers. What's happening now is like a pioneering generation of like uh, reclaiming and redefining. And I think it's really exciting. What I always want to kind of draw 
draw from is acknowledging that you know our parents grandparents great great grandparents and you know previous our ancestors have always been colorful and expressive and um creative actually like when you actually look at indian culture or south asian culture wider i don't want to just i don't want to eliminate you know the countries that were part of india before and then also all the other that whole region i think is really South Asia is really rich with creativity and somewhere along the line we or there there was a an idea created that we were very mathematical or you know like we were only leading in science or medicine or law and these kinds of you know like job jobs and i think that those things are true we are really talented at those things and there's nothing wrong in, with any of those jobs at all but the danger is not being able to embrace this side of academia with the side of creativity because science and the arts are, they're like yin and yang, you know? Mm -hmm. And we have the silks, we have the spices, we have the music, we have dancing, we have films, we have like scripture, we have poetry. And these are all like massive themes that are ingrained in being South Asian. And so when I'm looking now at what's happening across the globe and what I'll call as the South Asian community, I'm not sure if the word diaspora sits right with me because similar to, you know, when people say ethnic minorities and things like that, diaspora to my knowledge means people that are dispersed and and scattered and yes like we are we are around the world now for you know in terms of like where our history has taken us but what i to me scattered feels very disconnected and like you know it feels like you know when you have a bottle spray and then you spray the water and it goes everywhere whereas community feels like oh everyone is everywhere but we are also together at the same time And so when I'm looking at the South Asian global community and I'm thinking, oh, my God, like, you know, there's all of these communities and creativity popping up everywhere. And then I look back at our history and what is it within us, which is all of those creative things that I said before. I'm like, oh, my gosh, of course. Like, of course, we're, we are stepping into it because our parents and grandparents that really worked hard to create structures and made sure that we were educated, you know, and said, go to school, you have to have these grades and all of this stuff. We, we're now able to thrive because of that foundation. There was a lot of movement going on, I think, before. And I'm talking more about South Asian people that are now settled out of South Asia, right? Like, we ha- my, I'll, sp- I'll speak on my own family where there was a lot of movement and we didn't always have the same space to root in. Um, And I mean that like emotionally, psychologically, physically as well. And now I know that I feel a bit more settled and because my mum and my stepdad have done the most to create a consistent structure, I'm able to create And then if we look at that on like a bigger level, on a community level, I think we're seeing a surge now because of one, because of how the global black community have pushed and pushed to make way to be creative and and pushed the idea or not even yeah and have pushed the idea of being visible and representation and all of that stuff and what that means and having rights and being treated as humans, you know? And then match that with our community's efforts to provide food and warmth and shelter and community and all of that stuff. And then now we're like able to just wake up and be like, okay, I'm going to do a podcast. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Like it's a really beautiful thing. Like when you look at the full cycle of things, yeah, it's, it's wonderful. No, I agree. And as you said, like we have these opportunities now because of a number of things, you know, one, because our our ancestors, you know, our grandparents, our great grandparents, they they grinded so that we could do this, so that we had better opportunities, so that we could sit down and do this podcast, you know, so that you could choose a creative um, career and a creative outlet and expression and whatever. And I think that's really important. My great grandparents settled here because my great grandfather was he fought for the British back in what World War Two. He didn't fight. He was like as well. Really? Yeah, well, he was he, he didn't fight, um, but he was part of the, I don't know what you would call it, 
I guess you would still say that they were whether whether you're a medic or a cook or whatever you're you're still part of the army I suppose yeah exactly and so that's how that's how my journey here started is because right. he him and him, him and my great grandma settled in um in Streatham and then brought all of their kids with them which one of them happened to be my grandfather so yeah I think like that that idea of of roots and and the kind of opportunities that we now have is really so interlinked with like our ancestors and our and the community in general. I like what you said about, you know, the language that we use to describe ourselves, I think is actually so important. I don't like saying like ethnic minorities. I, I prefer to say like minoritized groups, for example. You know, I just feel like language is really important when describing ourselves. I wanted to pick up on one thing that you said, you know, you were talking about your experience in India. Do you feel like going to India um, you know, I, I know we spoke about, you know, the, the parts of your identity that you're quite at peace at now and, and you attributed some of this to, you know, going to India and experiencing that. You know, on the other side, are there any parts of your identity that maybe you're still grappling with or where you feel like, you know, there's a contradiction? Because for me, I know that I've not I've not always felt accepted in Asian spaces by or by Asian people. And I think it's different now because I feel like I have a stronger sense of self and like I'm more accepting of the like multitudes of my identity. But growing up, it was definitely not like that. So I just wonder yeah. what your experience was and whether going to India kind of changed that. I found my trip to India really rooting. It, honestly, like it was... <sighs> It was just what I needed. I was meant to only go for two weeks and I ended up going for two months. Do you know what I mean? I was like, mum, sorry, I'm not coming home. Like Christmas and New Year's and all of that stuff. I was like, yeah, I'm just going to stay out there. And I pushed it for as long as I could. I had to come back for work. But if I had the opportunity, I probably would still be there now. <laughs> mm. um, and it, touching on what you said, my sense of self is the thing that I am constantly in dialogue with. You know, it's hard or or maybe it's a challenge to be and then insert identifiers here. Right. So like whether you're a woman or a queer, queer person or you're I don't know, you're working class or whatever. If you're not the top of the food chain, then and if you don't hit like a default, then every day has a different set of challenges, you know, and you're kind of, well, I'm kind of constantly weighing these things up against what my opportunities are. But regardless of what is actually happening externally, my biggest growth or challenge is the inward one. And so at the moment, a lot of what I'm, what I'm going through is trying to figure out what actually serves me. And that looks like family, that looks like work, that looks like community. And, you know, like a few a few years ago, I did a lot of work on my physical self, as in now, like I kind of look at myself regardless of, you know, what I look like. You know, sometimes you kind of feel like, oh, do you know what, this month I'm couple of pounds heavier or whatever or whatever however like you know whatever changes my body's going through I am really grateful for my physical self because regardless of how it looks my physical self is like really the 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 primary agent in how I'm expressing myself I wouldn't even though even if, even if I had these thoughts if I didn't have a mouth I wouldn't be able to explain them do you know what I mean yeah. and so what I'm dealing with at the moment is going a little bit more inward to find out how things make me feel and what and where I want to go with it. And when it comes to being South Asian and being of Indian heritage, it's something about me that is fixed. It's something about me that is a really big part of my identity. And because of that, I love it. And because it's mine, I love it. Like that's been probably one of the most empowering things to identify that this culture and this history is in my DNA and it's part of me. And so being South Asian is something that I want to naturally celebrate and I want to naturally find out about and it naturally empowers me because it already is me. I think that 
if anyone's on that journey of finding themselves, I think it's first to really look at yourself and be like, what are those things about me that I have been given and I've been blessed with? Because we've been given them for a reason. You could be in anybody, right? You could be in anybody. Your spirit could have chosen to be in any skin tone, any size, any shape, any gender, anywhere in the world as well. But you are here and I am here right now in this 2021 as this woman. And so I'm like, cool, what does that now mean? And how do I align myself with that? I don't want to struggle inwardly. The external challenges are big enough as they are. And I want to be able to be like, oh, cool. Like, you don't know that that's a gap. Okay, fine. Like let's don't be horrible to yourself. And it's not, it's not, a, it's not something that's linear and it's not something that is cons- uh, constant. Like I a hundred percent have low days and I have days when I can feel um, my, like I can feel really far away from myself. And when that happens, I have to try and catch it quick and be like, okay, Almas, like you're now acting out of character, right? Like, what does that mean? Like, let's just, let's just, you know, reassess and figure out if this is actually what you want to do or say. So, yeah, I don't know if that's too abstract, but but that's definitely no. where I'm at right now. You know, moving with intention is is one thing that I got from that. That's what something that I'm trying to remind myself of lately as well is to like move with intention and own what you do because when you do, even when you get presented with challenges, you can approach them with humility the answers are already within you. So, you know, harness that, that energy and harness the strength that you already possess. Cause as you said, you could have been born as anyone, but here you are yeah. as yourself. And it, how are you going to tap into that to, to, to make the most out of this life? What role does culture play in your life? You know what? Culture is something that I think is like, it feels like an infinite well, or maybe mm. like an infinite sky, like, whether it, you know, whether it's above or below, because there's just so much of it. <laughs> like wherever you go, you go into anyone's house and like, there's just culture everywhere. You read any book or you get on the train and like, you just see so much, you go to another country and like, there's just culture everywhere. I think like culture is probably us. Like that's what it is. We are natural creators, you know, like we make things. That's what we do, Um, whether that's food or clothes or art or whatever. I think culture is one of those words that's kind of like love, like it's quite hard to describe. I think that I'm going to do this off the top of my head. But when I talk about culture, I usually say that culture is language, food, music, dress. And there's one more that I usually will it down to, but I can't remember at the moment. But when I'm thinking about the pillars of what I, when I'm thinking about exploring a culture, for example, and I'm like, okay, these are the, these are the things that I want to explore because there, it goes back to the like languages, right? Like how do you communicate who you are? Every culture has food that Mm -hmm. is synonymous with the culture. Every culture has dress, Every culture has like verbal language itself. Every culture has music. All of those things build up what we start to define as culture and probably more. But these are the things that I've identified. So, yeah, that's what I'd say. I'd say culture means all of those things and is as personal as it is something to share. I think we, we, what I'm trying to do at the moment is work on how confident I am with my culture so I don't feel threatened when uh, when someone new is trying to interact with it. And sometimes that can be quite hard considering our history of having culture and physical things and people taken away. You get, you get almost um, defensive and I think that's, yeah, in my experience anyway, it's not the, it's not the best energy to bring to that interaction because... It kind of just ends up backfiring on yourself. No one's going to be able to do it like you. If it's your culture, no one's going to be able to, uh, They could, at best they can emulate it. And they're never going to get as close to it as you can because it's within you. It's part of, it's part of your DNA, you know. I think there's a big conversation at the moment about yoga and mm-hmm. and its origins and all of this stuff. And for me, yoga is a deeply, yoga isn't even called yoga, it's yoga. And it's a deeply spiritual practice. 
it's ancient even. And when I experience the practice, to me, it's it speaks to me on a different level. And at first, when I first tried yoga in London, I had injuries. I was trying to attain, I think, this like idea of what like uh, a yogi looked and I don't know, just looked like, I suppose, or what the lifestyle was. And then when I went to India and I experienced going to an ashram um, near the Himalayas in Rishikesh and I learned about the spiritual side, you know, the the practice on the, uh, the lifestyle without, you know, like you don't need a yoga mat to do yoga. You don't need yoga pants to do yoga, right? Like it's about bringing your full self. And once I've experienced that and I spoke to the teachers and they were so open with their knowledge and, you know, like the majority of people there, I think I was the only Indian woman that was there as a, as a student, I was just amazed at how giving the teachers were with their information, you know, to, to, to people that just were coming from the outside in. Right. I really admired how confident and sure they were in themselves. And then in turn, it made me really value the benefits of the practice when you actually tap in to the spiritual, the culture, and you acknowledge that stuff with the physical, because, Mm -hmm. Since then, my relationship to it has been so different and I can see now why there was a disconnect before. And so going back to that thing, it's like, okay, I could be defensive about it or I could say to someone, do you know what? If you want to experience this on the deep level, then this is this is the way that I would suggest. But I do not also claim to be an expert in my own culture. I'm still yeah. learning. And so if someone comes in with something else, like I'm – trying anyway to get to a place where I'm still open to what their learnings might be. If you're going to do yoga for the spiritual side, you can't separate it from its roots. You can't separate it from where it comes from, you know? I think that's yeah, it's a, like, you know, I, I'm not sure people realize that it's actually, it's a deeply spiritual, uh, you could say spiritual slash religious practice. Yeah, it is. It is. And there's obviously the physical side of stuff as well. You know, there's, there's real science behind it. There's real science behind understanding anatomy and how the chants, the breathing, all the different asanas, like how they actually translate to our bodies. But yoga really is a gateway to achieve uh, meditation. That's, that's the point is to be able to be synonymous with your breath and yourself and your body in order to settle your, your inside spirit. And that's why like the spiritual side of stuff is like, to me is really loud. It's like, okay, fine. Like you're flexible, but how are you going to really be able to feel flexible in your thought as well as your body? And really it starts with your thought can't be as flexible with your body um, in all the different shapes and forms, if you're not flexible with your approach and your spirit and your mind. Pivoting a little bit from that, I'd like to ask you about being queer and Muslim. Yeah, with the huge caveat, obviously, that this is just one element of who you are. Um, and you're not representing anyone but yourself. I just think our listeners would really appreciate it if you could tell us about your journey with sexuality as a South Asian woman uh, in the UK. Whenever I think about this, I am really blessed to have a community around me, be that my family, my friends or other people that I've met along the way that are really accepting of who I am. And that, as well as my own acceptance for myself, has actually made my journey a hell of a lot easier than if I didn't accept myself and if my close people whom I love did not accept me. And whenever I feel challenged, so now whenever I feel challenged by my identity, it's usually not an internal struggle. It's usually me experiencing someone else saying that they don't agree. And then if they don't agree, I'm like, okay, uh, I don't know what to do about that. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? I'm like, I'm like, okay, cool. Like, you know, for me, yeah, like it is, it really, we have to caveat this by saying that I also speak from, I'm, I'm in the West. So mm-hmm. it's so much easier than being in other spaces. However, this doesn't take away from the fact that being queer exists around the world and does exist in many Muslim countries and people do live and thrive. They do. There's a lot of people that don't, and there's a lot of people that do. So what's dangerous about saying that the West is really liberating is that it gives us a full sense of what liberation means in the West. 
And when we say that Muslim countries are really restrictive, it's dangerous because we then have a view that these places are very rigid and powerless, for example, when actually it's a lot more complicated than that. And it's a lot more it's human. It's more human than that, isn't it? It's not just based on statistics. My journey from a young age, I always knew that I was free as a person. It goes back to that openness and that flexibility, right? I always knew that I was free. I always knew that I was accepting of other people and myself. And if anything, I was more curious than afraid or, you know, like I didn't punish myself. I was just like, oh, this new. Okay, fine. <laughs> and then moved on. So that's really been my journey. And then when I was about 21, after I had told my mum and my immediate family that I was in a relationship with a woman, I then, at the time, I don't know if, maybe Instagram had just started. So I posted a picture on my Facebook with a really long caption about who I am and all of this stuff. And it was totally like lipstick in the rainbow and stuff. Like you couldn't have got any more like on the nose. Do you know what I mean? And so um, I did that. And I really had to think about why I did that uh, at the time. I was like, why am I doing this? And I did not see anyone. I remember searching for someone that was like maybe in their 40s, 50s or 60s and was a queer woman of color. And I I couldn't find them. And it's not that they didn't exist. It's just, I didn't know where to look, I suppose. And so I was like, okay, well, where I, from where I'm standing right now, I'm going to, I put myself out there and I think I was probably signaling like mm -hmm. to find community. I think I was probably being like, no, I need to just live my truth and be visible. And from that point onwards, straight away, I had maybe one person at that time message me being like, I'm queer too. They weren't a South Asian woman, but it was just, we, ha we had a connector. And this is where like community building started. And I think what I've learned is that being vulnerable is so scary and it, le mm -hmm. and it leaves, sometimes leaves you open to judgment or ridicule or, you know, just people maybe commenting on who you are and what you do and feeling like they have autonomy over that. And actually they don't, regardless of how my public profile grows, I don't think it's fair that people should judge me or make me feel a way, you know, about who I am and what, regardless of that, I put that to the side because I think actually that's not energy that I want to engage with. Who I do want to engage with are the people that are also seeking community and are also seeking understanding and growth. And so after that time, um, I spent a lot of time on my own journeys exploring the queer communities in London, in New York, in LA. Um, when I went to India recently, I found such an amazing queer community in Mumbai and, ev you know, everywhere else in the world that I've been. There's been queer people. There are queer, queer people everywhere. Eventually, I found the Muslim charity organization Hidayah, who offer mm -hmm support and networks for Muslim, queer Muslims in the UK and then around the world through social media and stuff. And that for me was a really big eye opener because it meant that I could, I didn't have to choose one of the other. There's still practices within Islam that I really love. And actually my morals and stuff are based on the, the respectful human elements of the religion, as does every other religion. But I've grown up in a Muslim household. And so from a young age, I always knew that, you know, we give to charity. I always, I, something that I always hung on to is that the prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, didn't always said, you should never, you should never choose the sword. It's not, I'm not saying this verbatim, but I remember just being like, oh, okay. Like violence isn't the way. So these were things that I latched onto as like a really like, I'm, I'm talking about maybe around seven years old, seven, eight, nine. There was a time period when I felt like I was really disconnected from my faith. I feel like I'm still finding my way and I'm trying to figure out what that balance looks like because as I said, I'm really interested in like Buddhism. I'm really interested in like Sikhism, for example. Um, I'm really explorative in different spiritual practices and cultures, but there's a massive part like now I'm feeling the value of, okay, what does it look like once a, once a year for one month to fast, to cleanse, to be still, what does that look like? And how do you, how does that serve you? How does that help you enter a, a state of reflection? Cause actually when I was young, it was like, 
you know, you need to do this to be able to remember the people that can't eat. And I mean, I kind of get that, but actually me fasting for one month doesn't actually solve other people not eating. I understand the sentiment, but within that, I'm like, okay, what can I do for my community then? Like, what does it mean then to be able to cook for my neighbor, for example, you know? Whereas during that time, I tend to go a lot more inward and I'm really enjoying at the moment reconnecting with like praying, for example. And the reason why I'm able to do that is because the people around me and the communities that I've found have reaffirmed what I'm thinking, have said, oh, do you know, oh, I've seen it in other people. I've, I was, we used to work at summer camp in America and I, and I met one of my friends, Sadia, and um, she is a Muslim woman who is just so free spirited. And it was the first time I'd seen someone that was like, she's from like Atlanta. She's out there with like, just in terms of like banter and all of this stuff. And then also during camp, she was fasting and praying. And I was like, oh my gosh, here's the the first example that I've seen of someone coexisting with all of their selves. And that was really empowering. And so my journey with being queer and Muslim is funny because all of these identifiers are sort of added on as I continue to grow and identify myself, but they don't feel alien or different. You know, like it, it's all me. And, and I'm very, very thankful that from a young age, I was a bit like, oh, I did that. All right, cool. Like it was, I didn't have a in, a in a battle. I was just like, let's just move on. There's bigger things to worry about. And I think that there was bigger things to worry about. I grew up in a really violent household. And so I didn't really have time to worry about that stuff because there was like life or death was was the main topic. Do you know what I mean? And that has also added perspective in my life. So I embrace it. To me, it's love. And to me, it's not harming anyone. And to me, I'm very much inquisitive and curious to find out what our rules and guidelines around reproduction are. What are rules and guidelines around marriage? Why do these exist? Are they actually something that's valid? Who created those rules? Do we all need to have a baby? I'm not sure. I completely like relate to that too because I've also grown up in a Muslim household, but I I always say that the the Islam that I was raised with was extremely cultural and yeah the the way I carry Islam in my life is as you said as well it's in my morals it's in the way I conduct myself as a person you know my mom always taught me to be the kindest person I could be to to always give to people who who even if you have nothing you share because that's what you do as a as a as a Muslim or, you know, it's what you do as a good person. So those are the, th- the ways I carry it with me. But I, 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 it's so true about questioning, questioning the arbitrariness of all of the things that we've been taught in our lives. Why do we need to get married? Why do I need to have a child? Who told me I need to do that? Who told me who I can marry? Why? The thing you learn is that like Allah is all loving, isn't it? All forgiving, yeah. all loving. And our God created us all. So how could I look at someone else and be like, you're wrong or you're a mistake? That mm. to me is insulting the very thing that I believe in. A little follow-up question. Where do you think that the South Asian community really is with understanding these things about gender and sexuality from your experience? I think the South Asian culture, like every culture, is extremely understanding and knowledgeable on queerness. Is that Was it queerness that you were asking about? Yeah, yeah. I think that queerness has been in our cultures from the time that humans were made. We, have, we are naturally curious. We are naturally creative. Not all of us might want to be with the same gender, but some of us might. And I think that number is a lot larger than we are presented with. I think that actually the matter is not understanding what queerness is. I think the matter is more to do with power and politics and what that and how that translates. Because the guiding principles of our societies are connected to how we hire people, how we create education curriculums, how we position ourselves as a country against other countries, for example. And this is why I was saying that I'm really interested in like looking at the reasons as to why we choose marriage, why we choose to have children. Because love doesn't come into the structure of marriage. It's not about choosing your partner whom you love. It's about and I'm talking more about, you know, the, 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 the foundations of marriage, not how each individual feels about them. But, you know, it was about security. It's about inheritance. It's about how to continue your bloodline, all of this stuff. Right. So 
I think the question is a is a great question and it's a broad one with a really complicated answer because I think that the South Asian community, uh, who are we talking about when we say the South Asian community? Are we talking about every single person? Are we talking about our parents? Are we talking about mm. our people my age, for example? I'm 30. I think that the generations to come who are around lots of accepting and kind people will not care who you choose to be with. I think we are learning to be compassionate. And I think that will continue over time. That said, there's a lot of people, an overwhelmingly large group of people that are not connected to the conversations that we are having. We we talk about echo chambers or sorry echo chambers right. Some people aren't even on the internet, and some people aren't even accessing the conversations in real life. I think everything works in balance, and it's just trying to find that kindness and compassion in people. People don't have to agree; they just have to see you as human and just let and extend kindness as they would to themselves. In terms of India, I think that. And I'll only speak on India because I have been there recently. But in terms of India, I found a, on the ground, I found a really loving, accepting community. I But then again, I speak to people that share similar stories or people that are like-minded in their interests. Yeah. So it's hard for me to really answer that question fully because I'm also acknowledging that the people that I um, socialized with, even on a global scale, are connected to me through the like-minded people here, right? Because I could say to you, I'm going to go to India. You'll say, oh, meet up with my friend in Delhi. But mm-hmm. I, that that friend is probably going to have a similar mindset to us because we're all connected yeah. and we are friends. Yeah, I think really it's down to us to to make those little changes in how we are. And hopefully that will inspire people to make those changes every day and how they are. Queerness is so ingrained in South Asian culture specifically. We, and uh, yeah. And when I say queerness, I just mean people who are not cis men, cis women. Like queerness for me encompasses gender and sexuality, but it makes me excited and um, I'm, I'm hopeful. Just about uh, your residency at BBC Asian Network. Congratulations, Thank Ivan. you. I'm smiling. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, I think that's 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 a big move. And I know that you um, you mentioned to me last time when we chatted that um, you can be and you have been quite anti-establishment in your life. And I just wondered what it meant to you to be in a position to be doing something like the BBC Asian Network residency with that kind of mindset that you had. And, you know, I'm thinking also for you as someone who's chosen a creative path and is really like carving out a road for yourself in in that space? I think that we are living in the establishment. I'd start off with that. I think that's the umbrella term is like, we are are literally like living and breathing within this bigger space. And in the current political climate that, and the era that we have been, so in the past like hundred years, I think you can't go to any part of the world that hasn't been affected by, you know, our world wars and all of the, all of the ripples, you know, the civil wars, everything that has kind of rippled out of it. I think that in terms of the, my BBC Asia network residency, it's the first time that I have collaborated with a major institution on a long-term level. So my residency is 12 months and what I really love about it is that I have the opportunity every month to flex my skills and refine them. So my DJ skills, my presenting skills, my curation skills. And also within that, I am able to tap into my culture and a new culture that I didn't really know much about. So really the way that I see it is research and presentation. And it's in such a cool subject and such a cool way to present, right? So like every month for two hours, I'm showing you the music that I've found and what I'm able to now see through this opportunity and through this project is I'm able to connect the dots between the global South Asian community and the sounds that we're making. And to me, that is the real value is to be able to connect cultural sounds and then through my skill set of DJing, be able to do that in seamless flow. 
I think we have a certain set of tools that we're, we're or cards really that we're dealt in our lives. And when you find your sense of self and your purpose, you're then able to play those cards back in a way that makes sense with who you are. I'm trying very hard to not resist and I'm trying really hard to be open to those cards that are being dealt. Be savvy with them and mm. also balance that with my moral compass and what my inte- what my integrity is and who actually I am. So right now I'm three episodes in or three shows in and I feel like I'm finally in my pace. Like, you know, when you're running a marathon and you kind of do the first lap and you're like, okay, this is my pace now. That's where I feel where I'm at right now. And I've got another nine months to go. And every month I want to explore South Asianness and how South Asianness connects with the rest of the world, because we, we don't exist in a siloed off culture we exist alongside loads of other cultures intertwined Intertwined. we are mixing more than ever um a lot of the music that i grew up on was black music Mm. and then i heard bollywood and like british indian or asian music through my mum when she she'd play it when i was in my early teens and then now this feels like a, a homecoming so it feels like how can i connect the dots between the music that i grew up on and the music i'm discovering now which allows me to carve out space in multiple communities so i could go to a south asian space and play some songs and i could go to um, somewhere that might play hip hop and r&b and grime and like afrobeats and bashment and be able to play the, that because that's also what i grew up on and then also put in my twist and flair onto it so at the moment i'm enjoying the residency so much and because we are in lockdown and because we're in our homes i'm able to really like listen back and be like okay what are my notes for the next one how do I continue to create this and curate it? Because it's I'm creating my show and I'm creating mixes, but actually it's curation of, of all these other people's music, right? And so it seems really in line with how I feel about my culture. And it's a one way, you know, at the beginning, at the top of this conversation, we, I spoke about languages and music is one of them. And so I hope that when people listen to my residency, they lock in and they're like, wow, this is like a gateway or a window into a, a whole different world that I didn't know before. And that is a beautiful feeling to be able to process that information and then and then put it out as like a solid two hour experience. It's wicked. No, I love that. I started DJing just as a hobby, um, mm-hmm. like a year, year and a bit ago. And that's also one thing that really inspired me is like, I want to take the Punjabi sounds, the, you know, the South Asian sounds that I grew up with, mix them with also, you know, all of the hip hop that my dad introduced me to as a child. And as you said, communicate, because music music is a method of communication and communicate who I am through these sounds. And, you know, at the time when I got like my first controller, the only Asian DJ I knew of was Manara through that um, exploration of sounds and, and music and like identity through music. I came to know about you and, uh, you know, people like Jyoti and, all, you know, all these people mm-hmm. who are really carve out that space and I think it's yeah yeah Minara might have been one of the first people that I came across as well actually when yeah. I, think about it. I know I was just gonna say with the residency I think that the key thing with with residencies in which is different to the daily broadcast is that I choose my own music and I choose my own content and guests whereas when you are on the daytime roster you know that you're part of a bigger conversation there's a flow of the station and so one of the things that I'm enjoying particularly at the moment is that I get to be 100% creative. And that for me is a love language. When we're talking about working with clients and a client says to me, do you know what? We trust you. Do what you do and how you do it best. And then we'll continue to be in dialogue. Right. And as that, that to me is the biggest thing because I wouldn't have discovered the artist or connected with my community as much if I didn't have free reign. And I really do. And yeah, I count my blessings and I'm really, really thankful like for, for the space to be able to do that. It's awesome. And I'm so excited to hear your mixes as well. 
thanks, Amas. Um, you know what it is? I'm, I'm pretty average right now, but I, I wanted to tell myself, like, look, you can have a hobby that you're not necessarily amazing at, but you love it and you should just do it because of that reason. Like everything, is just, it just goes back to the love. Even the most skilled people won't necessarily talk about how skilled they are. They'll just say, I really love what I do. In this, like, South Asian space, wider or local, what, what kind of things do you see for the future? I think that we are going to experience a lot of creativity at first. I think we're going to experience a lot of learning and what the undercurrent is going to be a lot of pain because we have a lot of pain and a lot of history that hasn't been told. And so we're discovering this. What is really key during this time is to remember that we can hold that pain and we can feel the anger but it's always about trying to move into a place of confidence and power rather than fear and divisiveness. And how do we learn? Because every few cycles or every few generations, it's almost like we as humans reset ourselves because things get lost, stories get lost. And so, you know, we're talking about archiving and it's like, okay, what are the things that you actually want to archive and why? What are the things that you wish you could tell your great, 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 great grandchildren that they shouldn't forget? Because they will if we do not continue to share our stories and our learnings. I think that hopefully we'll be able to see more togetherness. I think this will be a challenge because the South Asian community by default is classist and casteist and colorist and all of the other things. And so... I hope that we're able able to see past that, um, especially the the new gens coming through. Do you know what I mean? But I do see that being a challenge. But overall, I am really excited for what's to come because I feel like like right now I go online and I'm just enjoying all of this creativity. I'm like, wow, like I didn't know this or I hadn't seen this before because now there's like photographers exploring, you know, like different areas of whether it's Kashmir or anywhere, actually. Like I want to personally, I want to see more of Bangladesh because I haven't seen anything. I just want to see more. I want to see more about the the arm of India that's in us, uh, that goes into China, for example. I want to see people that are at the top of India and, you know, are infringing on like Tibet and places like that. Like I want to see and feel and like taste and smell and walk those lands and all of that stuff. And so it makes me excited because there's just so much to learn. And that to me is really energizing. And I hope that we get the opportunity to do that. Thanks so much for sharing on us. And thank you for joining me in this discussion. I've had a really, really nice conversation. My absolute pleasure. It's been wicked. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you to our listeners for joining us. We hope you found this episode as insightful as we did. Don't forget to hit the follow button to stay tuned on our upcoming episodes. You can also find us on Instagram at Rights Collective, on Twitter at The Rights Call, and on our website, therightscollective.com, to learn more about what we do and our other projects. Show notes, which include all information and links mentioned in the episodes, can be found on our website as well. Don't let the conversation end here. Using the hashtag TRCPodcast, let us know how you navigate the complexities of your identities, what works and what doesn't, and what makes you feel most yourself. Before we go, we'd like to thank Minnie Bullar and Anaya Hussain for editing this episode and producing this season of the podcast, as well as US-based artist and activist Kaki Kazi for the amazing cover art. A huge thank you also to Substeppers, a British-Asian duo for the music. To listen to the full track and more of their work, click the link in the show notes. Thank you for listening. Until next time. <laughs>